Digital Marketing Radio, episode 117. Is Google AdWords too expensive for some businesses? DigitalMarketingRadio.com I'm David Bain and this is Digital Marketing Radio, weekly interviews with online marketing gurus. Catch up with all the previous episodes at DigitalMarketingRadio.com The Big Interview with David Bain Today I'm pleased to be joined by the author of the most comprehensive and well-received book on Google AdWords in print. It's called Advanced Google AdWords. Some of the brands he's worked with include Amazon, Yahoo and Business.com. He's the co-founder of Adalysis. Welcome to DMR, Brad Geddes. Oh, thank you, David. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you very much for, for coming along. Yeah, great to have you here. So, um, Brad, is it really possible for a regular business to bring in lots of profitable traffic from Google AdWords nowadays? Or um, is it much more difficult now than it used to be? So that may depend on the definition of a regular business. <laughs> so if you're a, a small local company targeting a few county region, sure, it's not that complex. If you're a small e-commerce company targeting nationwide, it's really complex. So it's it's not like it used to be just open an account and get going, uh, there's there's definite levels of complexity the larger you want to target and the, the more customers you want. All right, okay. Um, but would you say kind of cost-wise, generally it's more expensive than it used to be a couple of years ago? Um, it's a little bit, but not a tremendous amount. Um, CPCs have not climbed that much. It, there's more competition. And you have to be more aware of conversion rates and in you know website optimization to make sure those leads convert. It's a little more expensive, but not overly so. A lot of a lot of industries matured in pricing a few years ago and haven't changed much. Okay, that's interesting. And would you say it's actually more difficult for certain industries? Then are are there opportunities within industries that are fairly untapped tapped at the moment in terms of Google AdWords? Oh, sure. I, I mean, your your industry, there's a lot of money involved. Travel, credit cards, any kind of financing, really difficult industries. People have years of experience managing this. Um, when you get into more niche local businesses, there's lots of opportunity. Um, affiliates have a lot, a lot of opportunity in emerging products that didn't exist a few years ago. So opportunity exists. It's a matter of, is it well-established? it's tougher, right? Is it a newer industry? It's a lot easier. Okay. Okay. So to, I mean, get going. I mean, I've, I've, I've run a few Google AdWords campaigns myself. I'm by no means a Google AdWords expert at all, but um, I, I, I certainly try sometimes to set campaigns up. And quite often when I do that, um, even though I think I've designed campaigns that are very relevant to certain keyword phrases and landing pages that are relevant. I've got a quality score of maybe five or something. I'm thinking, what have I done and what can I do to improve this? Um, is quality score really, really important? I definitely. A quality score determines if your ad can show. Um, it's part of the formula for determining the position of your ad and finally the cost of what that click is. It's really, really important uh, number to understand. I mean, it, it's comprised of three main factors, your landing page, your um, ad relevancy. So how, how does your ad really relate to the keywords in, in the landing page? And finally, the, the CTR of the ad. So most of improving quality score is all about good ad group structure, good ad testing, and good landing pages, okay. um, which... I'll help conversion rates anyway, so it's all on the right path to, to work on it. 
I remember years ago, um, one of the first um, digital marketing courses that I bought was a, a course called Traffic Secrets by a guy called uh, John Reese. And um, this was probably about 2006 or so. And uh, what, and he was really, really into pay-per-click. And obviously, pay-per-click was at a different stage in develop, development then. And uh, he was really into arbitrage and um, buying traffic cheaply using pay-per-click. But he was exceptional at pay-per-click at the time and one of the things that he did was um, he advised to bid as much as possible to begin with um, and then to drop down the amount you pay because um, you'd have a higher click-through rate and a higher quality because of that. Do, do you advise businesses to, to do that as well to actually bid high to begin with to try and establish that quality score? So quality score is normalized by position. So if you're in position one and establish a CTR, you drop your price, you're now in position four, Google's going to use position four CTR. So for 98% of people, no, it's it's not good advice. You're just going to overpay for stuff. For people who are really sophisticated and understand the system and, and really have great structure what they're doing, it can be useful as a way to get yourself going right out the gate, but you have to have a budget of the money you're willing to waste in doing this, right? So if, if wasting budget is something that your boss is going to fire you over, don't do it, right? Okay. It's not worth it. If it's something, hey, we can afford to waste 10, 15 grand to get a good start, then, then sure. But overbidding in some industries means you're paying $100 a click. Wow. So you better be really good what you're doing. I mean, some industries are still 20 cents, right? But you get into class action lawsuits, you're talking $400 bids. That's 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 utterly incredible. So it's, it's perhaps a tactic for advanced um, Google AdWords experts that, that know yeah. precisely what they're doing, but, but, but not at all for someone starting up. Okay. No, not at all. Got you. Um, okay. Um, so in terms of people starting up, um, I hear a lot about um, just bidding on exact match keyword phrases and being very, very defined in terms of the keyword phrases that you're targeting. Uh, and some other people say, no, you can actually broad match and just, just negative match some phrases. Do you think that um, all initial campaigns should be exact match or is that not really necessary to begin with? No, so initial campaigns... You aren't the match type is secondary, right? The, the first part is how, what is your overall goal, right? So if you're the kind of company who wants to throw everything at the wall and see what kind of sticks, right? And then focus in on what works, you're going to use a lot of modified bra when you start. If you're a very conservative company and you want to launch something that has very predictable results, and then you can measure and expand, then mostly exact match. So your goal of how you approach the marketing is much more important than the match types. The match types will follow based upon what you're trying to achieve. Right. Okay. And it d depends on your budget amount, obviously, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, and what about call to action? Ha has that changed much through, through the years or is it still very much focused on just on transaction? Or do you see more companies um, using AdWords now to actually purchase leads and to, to hopefully actually make that lead convert at some point in the future? Oh, definitely, definitely. So a call to action is just what do you want the user to do, mm. right? If, if the user is early in the buying funnel, they're researching, I mean, learn more, uh, you know, and view this product is a great call to action. If you're focused on leads and calls to action like call us and sign up are great. 
but you could use AdWords for business awareness, branding purposes, e-commerce purchasing, lead generation, um, calls directly to the businesses. Any business goal can really be accommodated into it. It's a more a matter of establishing what you're really trying to get the users to do first. Okay. And do you see quite a few companies now bidding for terms that are highly unlikely to result in a purchase straight away, but um, all about either brand, brand awareness or just um, um, hoping that that visit will result in education from them and then more likely to actually make a purchase at some point in the future? Oh, definitely. No question, right? So you've got you know, brand awareness, and which is, you know, raising affinity to, to the company. But you also have many products have buying cycles, which could be a week to months long. And so if user, if it takes five or six touch points to get someone to convert, then, then you're going to bid through up the touch point funnels appropriate to where they are in that. So not every, I mean, you've got some direct response advertisers, Right? But there's a lot of companies bidding on words that that word won't convert today. But if we can do X, Y, and Z, it should convert by you know this time period. Okay. Um, so there's been a lot of studies done on, on click-through rate from paid ads and SEO rankings as well. Um, are you of the belief generally that um, if a company is ranking number one uh, in organic search listings, that it's actually worthwhile bidding for that same keyword phrase in pay-per-click as well? So that's not a clear yes or no. <laughs> so if someone else is bidding on your brand terms, then you pretty much have to because you're going to lose some share of traffic to them. If no one is bidding on your brand terms and there's no ads on the, on the search page for your brand term, the only there's really two reasons to buy at that point in time. It's to redirect the user to a part of your site they normally don't go to or some other business goal, right? Like you don't sign up for a newsletter before they go to your brand site. Or, and you can't prove this with numbers, but brand terms have very low CPCs and really high click-through rates. And so they make your overall account a much higher average click-through rate which can actually help some other terms that, that you're doing because your account average is higher, which can help other words out, but you can't mathematically prove it, but it's been seen over and over again. Um, but if your budget's such that you can't afford your brand all day long and there's no one buying ads in your site and you have other keywords, then spend your money there. So it's not an absolute must unless someone else is buying it, then it really does become a must. And if you have a fairly tight budget and no one else is bidding on your brand, is it generally just better off to actually focus on generic keyword phrases generally yes definitely okay um it's, it's always interesting um talking about the the pay-per-click seo argument and um when you should actually um bid on phrases that you're you're actually ranking for in organic search and uh, i guess there's no right answer but um you're always a little bit wary of um uh pay-per-click search engine <laughs> provider uh, giving you advice <laughs> <laughs> oh very fair yes um so okay um and what about uh, we, we touched on click-through rates a little bit there um what what on average is a good good click-through rate in the, in the in the various positions of paid search see so this is you've got to take it back a level right so you have to look at how commercial nature a term is 
and how specific the query is before you can make that determination. So like if someone searches for TV, do they want TV repair, TV guide, a brand new television? You have no idea the user intent. So a 0.5% imposition one is great. Now, if the search is something like Samsung SL6W, which is a, a product part number, you can get 15, 18% position one. And so until you sort of have a matrix of how commercial, how commercial nature it is, how specific the term is and the position, only then can you really talk good and bad CTRs. So it's actually a fairly complex question. Got you, got you, and no, I completely understand. And what about the ad itself? Are you always split testing everything, the title of the um, ad description and the URL as well? I am, yes, I am always testing everything. Now, if it's, say, ad groups, I don't get a lot of impressions or I want a global insight, I'll use multi-ad group testing where I'm actually testing a line, maybe a call to action versus a different call to action across 500 ad groups. So I can see how something does as a global customer insight to use. If I've got an ad group with a lot of traffic, then I'll just split test within the ad group itself. And will you so there's a few different ways of doing that testing. Will you split test everything at the same time or will you just start with the title or, or, or some other element? In I thing? usually, I usually when I first, first start, I want to know big things. I want to know, um, should I use geographies in the ad? Should I use this specific call to action? Should I use this? So I really start by testing hypotheses of how ads should be structured later on. So I know, okay, this can't. This type of company needs to use geographies and ads, or this one needs to use jargon terms because it's a B two B type of company. And and once I sort of have like copyrighted guidelines, essentially, right, then we'll move into testing first completely different types of ads. Um, so this one may talk uh, a feature of, you know, kicking back in your TV watching television versus the discount price. And, and that's, again, the hypothesis at an ad group level. And then once that's done, then it's really testing headlines or, you know, destination or display URLs and so forth. There's actually a few different hierarchies of ad testing I go through. Okay. And uh, one other significant element, of course, is the landing page as well. Um, generally, do you think uh, businesses can get away with using their existing website, whatever that may be, to actually create a landing page? Or is your preference to use a service like Unbounce to create a pre-tested, um, optimized landing page? Oh, they can use their, their existing landing pages. Now, they should be testing them to make sure they're good for the funnel, right? And they're going to convert properly. But you can, a service like an Unbounce or whatnot, it's great when you have a poorly designed website, right? Or it's great when you want to focus in on a very specific call to action and user conversion. They're great for that because you don't need to worry about links and can Google find the page and all that stuff for on the organic side, right? It's focusing on the conversion. But if you're an e-commerce site and you have 20,000 products, you're never going to make dedicated pages for that. Right. So that's more of how do we design our pages and test them to push people to the funnel um, within our existing structure. So if you are an e-commerce site, as you said, are you better off actually just keeping your existing site with its existing navigation menu on top? Uh, because you hear stories as well of um, it's, it's better sometimes to actually strip away all calls to action apart from what you want the customer to take. 
That is a case-by-case -case scenario, right? So if you're a big electronic retailer, you're just going to use your site because you want people to be able to find anything. Mm. Um, if you're a big electronics retailer, but you're launching a brand new line of something, then you're going to use a dedicated page for that category or that specific product, right? That's outside a normal CMS system until it gets some traction. So as using always existing pages can have downfalls. I mean, users only have five to seven items they can hold in short-term memory. You give someone a category page with 300 options, you've lost them. So giving them category-focused pages can be really useful. Are you going to write it for everything? No, right? Are you going to pick your top three, five categories and use it? Maybe. Um, so e-commerce can, can kind of bounce around a little bit in, in how often you use them and when you use dedicated pages. If your site can't convert them well enough, then you're wasting organic traffic anyway. So you need to make sure it's good enough for everyone to convert, regardless of how they get to you. Right. Okay. And um, in terms of pay-per-click networks, is Google AdWords where it's at completely? Or are there challenger brands that can provide even better value traffic that y you could possibly recommend as well? Sure, Bing is great. Now, Bing does not have the volume everywhere. I mean, Bing is, I, I think they're 5% in the UK. They're 3.5% in Germany. They're about 20% in the, in the US. Mm. So Bing's a great network to get traffic on. If you're focused very specifically on mobile things like mobile installs, Yahoo Gemini is pretty good. Um, and because Yahoo Gemini and Bing have less advertisers, they're cheaper clicks. But they don't have as much volume. So if you need volume... AdWords is it, right? Google is the volume outside of, you know, Russia with Yandex or, or Baidu in China. It's the volume is Google. If you don't have a huge budget, Bing's a great place to start. Okay. And something like a LinkedIn or Facebook at all, is that worthwhile exploring as well? Oh, sure. But they're very, very different, right? So search is initially user focused, right? It's, it's users tell you exactly what they want. So it's great on a direct response basis. Now, Facebook and LinkedIn are very good networks, but they're very different ways that you go after the user because it's not a specific user intense driven search, right? It's more about other ways that fit your demographics and psychographics of users. You want to show ads to these targeted segments. So LinkedIn is great for B2B type of activity just its its conversion rates are lower than say search because it's less you know user driven from from looking for something standpoint um great facebook's a great program too there's there are different ways you target users okay great well i think that was a wonderful overview of um google adwords um you gave there obviously you know i was trying to dip into a few different areas and just just get your opinion in terms of what was happening and it's very difficult impossible obviously to cover everything but hopefully it gave um listeners a good flavor of um different um things that they should be looking at but um let's um segue into the second section of our discussion so that focuses more on your thoughts on where digital marketing has been and where it's heading so starting off with software i couldn't live without so what's software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? So let's skip all the email and Google apps and everything else, right? Because that's that's everywhere, right? Everyone's <laughs> using that. Um, you know, I software, I can't live without the AdWords editor, Bing editors, like the, the search engine editors that let you do stuff offline, really, really important. Um, I live in Excel. I mean, that, that's just a, a great tool. 
Ad Alice's as our ad testing tool. Um, we use Ad Alice's every day for ad testing. Um, uh, I do a lot of blogging. So, so Windows Live Writer is probably the best blogging tool out there. No one ever talks about it. Wonderful tool for blogging. Right. I haven't used that. Uh, no. Yeah, so it's it's essentially like using Word to write stuff, except it writes it in HTML that you can just straight upload to WordPress. So right on your desktop, just like you would a Word doc, except it's not Word's funky formatting. Um, it does a lot of it's that. It's a Microsoft product. Yeah, it's a great product. Are you a Windows um, 10 user now? I am a Windows 10 user on my Windows 8 and 8.1 devices. I am not a Windows 10 user on my Windows 7 devices. Okay, that's interesting. I've got I've got Windows Seven actually installed in a couple of PCs. Actually, when Windows Eight was just coming out, I bought two computers because I, I wanted Windows Seven. I didn't want Windows Eight. Yeah, and, and so Windows Ten is a wonderful upgrade from Eight. It's what Eight should have been. Um, I've got a couple like serious workhorse desktops. Well, I do a lot of video stuff, so Camtasia, tool I can't live without. And and my one computer's got thirty two gigs of memory. And, and Windows 10 is incompatible with some of my specific drivers. Hmm. So I would never put 10 on there. I've got a 300 gig internet um, at home. And so you need special network adapter cards for that kind of bandwidth speed. Windows 10 doesn't support it. There's no drivers for that. So I won't put 10 on my seven computers, but eight, it was wonderful, wonderful to move from eight to 10. Okay, okay. I'm glad I asked you that, actually, because I've got Windows 10 sitting there ready to actually be installed. And uh, I've got a, a Windows 7 PC here, and I'm quite happy with it. It's it's, it's fairly powerful, but yeah. um, don't do it, you say. <laughs> yeah, check. you know, it's check your drivers, right? If your drivers are all compatible, it's worthwhile. Mm. But not all drivers work on 10. And if you've got something that's, you know, probably two or three years old now, if it, you put 7 on it, um, the drivers might not work correctly. So that's it's the drivers that matter more from going from 7 to 10. Right. Okay, a slightly more challenging question. What piece of software don't you use, but you've heard good things about, and you intend to try at some point in the near future? Oh, you know what? I haven't used it in a few years. How's that? Uh, Marin um, sure. is one that I've used off and on over the years. I haven't used Marin in probably a year. I'm about to use it again. So for, for me, it's all about that or, or getting into coding stuff, right? Whether it's some new Java tool to do things for. Um, we're going to test out. We use Jira for all our project management releases. It's a big PM software for so, uh, project management system for software. And Slack is doing some integration with Jira. So we may do some Slack, Jira, GitHub integration to see how that works on the development side. I've heard a lot of great stuff about Slack. I haven't used it yet. I'm st I'm so. just started to use it actually, and it's really enjoyable to use, which is um, which is always an important thing when when getting to grips with a new piece of software. Exactly. So yeah, we're we're Jira, GitHub, and our software now. So we're going to see how Slack integration goes or doesn't go or. And, and you mentioned Marin. Marin obviously is a, a management tool, I think, generally for yeah. agencies where you can really bulk manage lots of different accounts, can't you? Yes, yes. So Marin is really good for in-house stuff, too, because you can use their tracking for things. So like we have some clients who won't use Google Analytics or Google Average Conversion Tracker because they compete with Google on certain things. Um, and so they're going to use Marin. Um like we use Aquizio quite a bit now, which is really more agency focused than Marin is. 
Moving on to... I wish I would have. I'd like you to look back at the very first day that you were involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? <laughs> what do you wish that you would have done differently? Oh, gosh. You know what? Under, so I, was, I started off as an affiliate marketer back in 98 when I got into digital. And understanding the difference of direct response versus brands building and how an affiliate brand can be a brand um, and, and, and giving brand its credence. This is something I did not do well enough and email autoresponder sequencing. Right. Um, I wish I'd have, I wish I'd have learned way more about that, you know, years ago when I was really driving traffic and not thinking about the email hook of things. Email's not sexy, but it works. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Everyone through the years, the the, the past years have been um, forecasting that email was on the way out. It's going to be social media or it's going to be something else. It's just sticking around, isn't it? It does. It is. It's always there. It's it's your inbox, right? And everything else now, I mean, you have Slack, right? But now Slack's like, we have to integrate email, right? So even like the new communication tools integrate email at the end. Yes, yeah, absolutely. The this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions and just two rules here. Try not to think about the answer too much. And you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion. Ready to go? All right, let's go. Email or Twitter? Well, email. (laughs) Audio or video? Video. Affiliates or display advertising? Ooh. Ooh, that's a, a both. I'll use my both on that one. Facebook or Google Plus? Facebook. Online price releases or one-on-one relations? Uh, one-on-one relations. Paid search or SEO? A paid search. <laughs> email contact form or telephone number? I like email over phone. Phone's more effective. I prefer email. Website or app? Website. Social subscriber or email subscriber? I email. And local marketing or global marketing? A global. Yay! Oh, you used the both early, but you got to the end without struggling anymore. So <laughs> it was at the right time. So it's affiliates or display advertising that you struggled with um, probably most. Um, so there's still plenty of room for affiliates yet. Oh, definitely. Yeah, affiliates, because affiliates can be brands, right? And this is what I think people, I mean, Expedia, Hotels.com, they're affiliates. Now, they're big affiliates. They're affiliates in the end. Um, And then they have their own affiliates. So you have affiliates who have affiliates. Um, And and there's a lot of ways affiliates can be really, really effective. So I don't think affiliate marketing is going away by any means. If someone can build an audience, there's a there's a place to monetize the audience, whether it's them or another, you know, through another brand. So affiliates can be really effective from a brand's perspective, but um, is it still possible to make decent money as an affiliate? Yes, yes. I have some good friends who make really good livings, and they've been affiliates for years. No question about it. Good to know. The $10,000 question. If I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? I would overhaul our UX on our Adalysis website and I would measure success by how often people stay subscribers. Um, We need some UX work. Wow, I would have put my money on you saying good Google AdWords there, but no, it didn't go there. (laughs) 
You know what? Traffic doesn't matter if you're not converting it, right? I mean, that's why when you think of budgets, it's website first, right? Funnel first, traffic driver second. Absolutely. But um, so many people spend bucket loads on paid advertising and th and they can think they can justify that. But um, spending $10,000 on a website, um, that that's really tough to get um, permission sometimes in-house to actually get the budget to do. It is. It, it very much is. But if you can change your conversion rates by 2%, what does that mean to your business? And most businesses, if they raise their PPC budget by 2% or their website budget by 2%, it's usually website actually has more of an impact because that affects everyone who gets to your site as far as conversion rates go. Mm. Um, so paid search is if your site don't doesn't convert, you shouldn't spend any money on paid search. Or any money on organic, right? You should spend all your money early on on making your site convert. And um, but testing it with um, AdWords to make sure it does convert. That's a great thing to do with it. And and the beauty of and so one of your questions earlier, should you buy brand terms? A great place to buy brand terms is is if you're going to retest, say, your homepage. You know what? You can't test your homepage for organic traffic. Not going to happen. But you can retest your all these pages off of your brand paid traffic because they know your brand. They search for you. And you can see how conversions differ by your old pages and your new pages. So new website redesigns, brand traffic, beautiful way to test without risking organic problems. A great, uh, a great thought to just about take us towards the end. My number one takeaway. So, Brad, you've offered a, a lot of great advice in our conversation, but what would you say the number one takeaway? What's the, you've got to have a number one takeaway, another takeaway now. <laughs> What's the single most oh, important wow. step that our, our listeners need to take away and implement in their businesses? You know, I'm going to, after our conversation, I've got to say, ensuring your website converts the traffic you send it. Right. It doesn't matter what your medium is. I mean, email is great. Social is great. SEO is great. Paid search is great. If your website can't convert it, who cares? So it's it's ensure you've got a well-tested funnel and you understand conversions and conversion rate optimization so that as you do get this traffic, it turns into customers and what you want them to do on your site. What's if, if, I, if you were to pick from a, a very slow site um, or maybe too many options within an order process or just um, an unclear order path. What would you say is the most common mistake that businesses are making in terms of delivering a, a poor conversion rate? Most businesses' problem is they have too many user options on a page, right? If you think of a page, every page of your site is convert or leave, right? Or continue, right? Every user's got three options per page, convert, yeah, convert, continue, leave. So if you every page of your site has a, and, and a user can hold five to seven items in short-term memory, that's all they can hold, right? So if you have a Facebook like, a tweet, a Google Plus button, you've got three conversion options without asking them for a phone number yet, right? So it's, what do you really want them to do? Hit, click this buy now button. You design around the buy now button. Give us their email and phone number in a form. Well, we design around the form. If it doesn't help make the form convert, it shouldn't be on the page, right? And, and you can add more stuff later, but start minimalistic around what the page's goal is. And a page doesn't have a goal, then why does it exist, right? It shouldn't even be there then. Get rid of it completely, right? And that's, that's not being focused on what a page should be doing is, is the number one conversion problem. 
Great advice. So uh, stop asking for information that you don't absolutely need. Yes, that increases form conversion rates, right? It's like questions. How did you hear about us? Well, that's why you installed analytics. Get it out of your form. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I reckon that takes us to the end of our discussion today. So thank you so much for your time, your advice. What's the best way for our audience to find out more about you and what you do? Well, so I'm actually on Twitter fair amount. So go you can BG Theory on Twitter or adalysis.com. And, and we do a lot of ad testing there and good tools for it. So you can find me either place. Wonderful. Okay, thanks again, uh, Brad. And, <laughs> and thank you to your listener for joining us. Well, um, if you like what you heard, I'd really appreciate your feedback. So just go to digitalmarketingradio.com slash iTunes and please leave an honest rating and review. It would be absolutely fab to hear from you and, of course, it would improve the ranking of the show on iTunes. And finally, I'm also hosting a brand new live show every Friday called This Week in Organic. So head over to thisweekinorganic.com to find out more about that. But that's how for now. So um, until we meet again, adios. Thank you again, Brad. Thank you.